hopefully a week from tomorrow, Mindy and five children and myself and many of our belongings will be all packed into our van and making our way up the East Coast to the cool climate of Maine for our family vacation. Takes two full days of driving to get there. It's about 22 hours of driving to get all the way up to the coast of Maine, and it's where our family goes on vacation every year. And with a trip that long, you can imagine that we hear this question kind of often, how long before we get there? How long before we get there? And a lot of times, the answer to that question really is up in the air, because when you're traveling that far, it really depends on how many accidents you're going to come upon, how much construction is going on, how slow the toll lines are going to move through it, like those toll plazas in New England that are about every eight miles on the interstate. You really don't know the answer. But as a parent, whether you know the answer or you just want the child to be quiet, you know there's an answer that usually works, and it's, we'll get there when we get there. Sometime on that second day, it may be around 6 or 7 in the evening. It may be well past midnight. Often, I don't know when we're going to get there. But the good news is, we may not know when we will arrive. But we do know where we will arrive. Sometime on the evening of that second day, the hopes are that we will pull into the gravel driveway at 57 Coveside Road. We know our destination. We have no idea when we will arrive there. And so I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. If you remember, if you were here last week in chapter 4, Paul talks about the day of the Lord and what's going to take place on that day. And the natural question that pours forth from him telling, listen, this is what's going to happen. The natural question is, when are we going to get there? When is this going to happen? And that's the question that he addresses this morning in chapter 5. How much longer till the day of the Lord? How much longer until Jesus comes back? And what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is this. We know our destination we don't know when we'll get there. But much like me driving 22 hours up I-95, the one thing we better make sure happens along the way is that we stay awake. <laughs> and that's Paul's encouragement to us as we make this journey. We know where we're headed. We have no idea when we're going to get there. But we need to stay awake along the way. Let's stand together as we read and are encouraged by Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the, in the night. While people are saying, ah, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, 
for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the, of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. You may be seated. As I mentioned earlier, last week back in chapter 4, Paul laid it out in explicit terms exactly what is going to happen when Jesus comes back. Let me read to you again verse 16 of chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And the natural question that Paul anticipates then from this statement about what's going to happen is the question, but when? When is all of this going to take place? How long till we get there? And there are plenty of doomsday preachers who will sell you all kinds of books about blood moons and solar eclipses and wars and rumors of wars and predictions and prophecies and will even tell you the exact day that Jesus is going to come back. But Paul says, don't waste your money. No book needs to be written. I don't even need to write you any instructions. Verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So the first point that Paul makes for us this morning as we're thinking about the day of the Lord is this. Know that you can't know. You need to know that you can't know. There is no GPS giving us the ETA of the arrival of Jesus Christ. There is no special interpretation of the stars and the alignment of the moon and all of these things. There's no Bible code where if you turn to the 58th page of each book and then look at the fifth word under a black light, it spells out July 21st, 2019. No. You can't know when Jesus will return. Paul says, I have nothing more to add because Christians know full well that we can't know. And Paul isn't just being obtuse here. He's actually quoting what Jesus himself told his disciples when he was here on earth. Listen to what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew when his disciples, understandably, asked the exact same question. Jesus said, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, 
If the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This whole section, Paul is basically paraphrasing exactly what Jesus told his disciples. That's why he says, I've got nothing more to add. I'll just repeat to you what Jesus said. You can't know. You need to know that you can't know. The only certainty about the timing of Jesus' return is that it will be unexpected and sudden. Unexpected and sudden. It's not going to happen on a blood moon. It's not going to happen during the totality of a solar eclipse like we had a year ago. That's not how it's going to happen. Verse 3 says, It's going to come upon us like the floods came upon those in the days of Noah. While people are saying, oh, there's peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. The day of the Lord is going to come as unexpected as a break-in would be in an upscale gated community. It's going to happen suddenly. You can talk to my wife, Mindy. She knows a little bit about the sudden onset of labor pains. You're just out walking, and it happens a month before it's supposed to. This is how it's going to feel, that shock and amazement, how it's unexpected, it's sudden. It will happen at the very moment people feel the most secure, the most at peace, when they least expect Jesus to return. I wonder whether the unexpected and sudden nature of Jesus' return is something that strikes you with comfort or fear. Are there things that you do on a regular, daily, weekly basis that you wouldn't want to be caught doing? Because only a self-deluded person who thinks that they know when Jesus is going to come back, who thinks, well, surely I'm not going to meet my maker today or in this very moment. Only someone so self-deluded then would, 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 would allow themselves into direct rebellion, debauchery, and sin that God has promised will bring sudden wrath. Thousands of teen movies have been made off this very premise. Mom and dad go away. They're not supposed to be home till midnight. So what do the kids do? They throw a big raucous party. Whoops, mom and dad show up three hours early, right? That's like the trope for so many teen movies. And that's what Paul says is going to happen to those who trudge headlong into sin. They're going to think, surely it's not today. And that will be the day. That will be the time that Jesus comes back. Temptation loses its power when we keep this truth in perspective. If in that moment when we are arguing and starting to get heated and angry and saying things we're going to regret toward our spouse, in that moment when we lose our temper with our child or with an employee, in that moment when we're almost about to click that inappropriate image in that moment when we're about to open our mouth and share some piece of demeaning, juicy gossip with a friend, if in that moment we remembered that we don't know when Jesus is coming back and that he could come back mid-sin and find us doing that, if we had that kind of perspective, the temptation would immediately lose its power. 
In fact, sometimes we even have to do this self-justification in that moment of temptation when we want to pursue that sin. We tell ourselves, well, surely Jesus isn't going to come back. Now I can ask for forgiveness later. We, we go through this justification that we pretend we do know when Jesus is coming back. But Paul says, no, you need to know that you can't know. And that actually helps us to fight sin. This also ought to light an evangelistic fire under us. Knowing that we can't know should give us a sense of urgency in sharing the gospel. Well, they've got plenty of time to hear the gospel and to respond. How do you know that? You don't. I don't. We should never obviously resort to these scare tactics sometimes that people use in order to get people to make split-second decisions and walk aisles. But let me tell you something. The people in our lives, and certainly the people who regularly attend College Street Baptist Church, should know a healthy fear of the unexpected and sudden coming of the wrath of God, which will be inescapable against every unforgiven sin and every unrepentant sinner. We ought to be pleading urgently with our family, our children, our friends to repent and believe for the forgiveness of our sins today, now, not tomorrow, not next week, not when it seems more reasonable, because we know that we can't know. So how should we live along the way to our destination? We don't know when we're going to get there. But the second thing Paul shows us is in the meantime, since we don't know when Jesus is going to come back, we don't know when we'll arrive at our destination, how should we live along the way? The second thing that Paul shows us in verse 6 is how we ought to behave ourselves as we await his coming. Verse 6, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So since we know that we can't know, and we want to be ready for when Jesus comes back, ready for him to come back at any moment, Paul says the second thing we need to do is be awake and sober. Be awake and sober. Or, to use modern parlance, you could say, stay woke. All right, and you can write this in your journal. Um, July 21st, 2019, Pastor Chad was relevant today. He said stay woke and sober. Okay. Be awake and sober. Play, Paul plays off this contrast in these verses, this idea of being awake and being sober versus being in darkness, being asleep, and being drunk. All right? And he wants us to think about what's the difference between a person who is drunk and in darkness and asleep and a person who is sober and awake and in the light. And I think to begin with, the first thing Paul shows us is that a person who is sober versus a person who is drunk, the sober person knows who they are. Verses 4 and 5, look at them with me. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. So keeping awake... Being sober means knowing who you are, knowing your identity, being self-aware. 
A drunk person gets themselves into all kinds of trouble because they lack self-awareness. They don't know who they are. People hoodwink them, beat them up, play pranks on them, bamboozle them. Why? Because they don't know who they are and they don't know where they are. But Paul says that's not true of us. We know that we are children of light, children of the day, because we are awake and sober. Peter reminds us in his first letter, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You know who you are when you are awake and sober. Before we move on, I want to point out just the presumption of Paul's statement in verse 5. He says, for you are all children of light. Paul says, of course you are. All of you. Because only an absolute and total fool, having heard the gospel, having been told that Jesus is going to come back and it's going to be unexpected and sudden, that when he comes back, those who have trusted in him will receive new bodies and will be with him forever. Knowing that on that day, sudden, inescapable wrath will come upon those who have not repented and believed. He says only a fool, after having heard all those things, would choose to remain in darkness. When you know the truth, Paul can't, can't even conceive of why you wouldn't step into the light. If you remain in darkness after having heard all of these things... It's only because you are willfully remaining self-deluded. The second difference between a drunk and a sober person is that a sober person also not only knows who they are, they know who they aren't. The reason that a drunk guy picks a fight at a bar with a guy who's 100 pounds heavier than him is because he doesn't know that he is not Manny Pacquiao. He doesn't realize that he is not Floyd Mayweather or Joe Frazier. A drunk person doesn't know who they aren't. But those who are awake and sober do, Paul says. Verse 5 again, we are not of the night or of the darkness. If we are children of the light, then we know that we are not children of the darkness. You cannot be both. Paul will ask the Corinthians in his second letter, what fellowship has light with darkness? And obviously the answer is none. We are awake and sober. We know who we are. We know who we aren't. Being awake and sober means we know how to act. Verse 6. So then, knowing who you are and knowing who you aren't, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. So being awake means having your eyes open. It means you're not led astray by your feelings, by youthful passions, by worldly desires. You're not hoodwinked by politicians or money or sin or power. It means you think clearly. You act wisely. You're not driven about by the whims of false doctrine misled by the heat of the moment. Your actions are wise, deliberate, intentional, caring, thoughtful, loving. Well, certainly, this means that 
A child of light will not act in drunkenness. Obviously, that's the most base level meaning of what he's talking about. No Christian should ever be found intoxicated. That's what children of the darkness do, Paul says. That's what people of the night do. But certainly there are other kinds of drunkenness that don't require alcohol. There are many things out there that cloud our judgment and prevent us from thinking and acting in ways that are sober and awake. It could be clamoring for control. Power can be an intoxicating mix. You could get drunk on the approval of others. It causes you to act in crazy ways. Anger is an intoxicating drug. You could be drunk on gambling. Today I see so many people who are drunk on politics. People just becoming totally unhinged the moment they start to talk about things related to the government, politics. People who do and think and say absolutely ungodly, unloving, unreasonable, violent, reckless things in the name of politics. It's like you go into the ballot box or you get into your car and you flip on talk radio or you go home and you turn on Fox News or CNN or you are scrolling through social media and all of a sudden you become a totally different person. Our minds swimming absolutely intoxicated, no clear thinking or action going on. We forget that we are sons and daughters of light in those moments. We forget that our job is not to get Republicans elected. Our job is not to get Democrats elected. Our job is to shine a light in a very dark world. No Republican can fix broken families in Newberry. No Democrat can save lost children in our schools. It takes sons and daughters of the light to do that. Men and women who aren't drunk on power or anger or rage. Men and women who are fully sober, who go into their communities with a clear head, a clear heart, who aren't under the influence of money or politics or power or personal gain, who say it's the love of Christ that controls us. Children of the light know how to act. And finally, Paul says, being awake and sober means you know how to dress. If you're asleep, you're in your jammies. If you're drunk, you may not even be clothed at all. But people who are awake and sober know how to be dressed. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on, having clothed ourselves in the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We protect our hearts from temptation and fear and hatred as we are wearing faith and love across our chests. We protect our minds from anxiety and doubt and worry by wearing hope, the hope of salvation around our heads. This is what it means to be children of the light. We know whom we have believed. And our faith in the one who died on the cross and spilled every ounce of blood from his heart for us and to wash away our sins, our faith in that Savior is what protects our heart and causes us to love God and to love others. Our knowledge of the truth 
these kinds of truths that we devote ourselves to, that week after week we come to listen and to hear and to store up in our minds and in our hearts, these truths serve to encourage us to hope and protect us when circumstances or anxiety or worry threatens to rob us of our certain future. It's like a helmet, Paul says. We know how to dress ourselves. Brothers and sisters, keep awake, Paul says, and be sober. So we know what we can't know. And that encourages us along the way to be awake and sober. But there is good news for us this morning. A Christian also knows what she can know. We need to know what we can know. There's something we know we can't know, the return of Jesus. But there is something we can know. Look at verses 9, 10, and 11 with me. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing. Do you hear the confidence in Paul's voice there in verse 9? Like he knows for an absolute fact his destination. Do you know for certain where you're headed? Do you know that you can know where you're headed? He says, brothers and sisters, we can know where we're headed. Know what you can know. Know whether you are destined for wrath or whether you are destined for salvation. You can know that when Jesus Christ returns like a thief in the night, whether you can expect inescapable wrath from his hand or eternal salvation. You can know. And it all hinges on verse 10. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Is that true for you today? Can you say with certainty Jesus died for me? That's not a hypothetical question with a hypothetical answer. That is a question that you can know the answer to today. It begins with admitting the truth about yourself. You know what? I am a child of darkness. I've just been living in darkness because I don't want to know the truth about myself. But day after day, I am committing acts of treason, sinning deliberately against the law of God. And I've come to realize this morning that on the day Jesus comes back, light's going to shine on all my sin, and I'm going to be consumed. But Jesus has said that he's died in my place and that he has shed his blood to wash away my sins so that I can be forgiven. And he's promised that if I trust and believe in him, he will even put his spirit inside of me so that I can now no longer walk in darkness, but in the light and have fellowship with God and with brothers and sisters in the church as I wait with great expectant hope for my Lord Jesus to come back. Do you believe that? Today, it doesn't hinge on you. It hinges on Jesus Christ. Did he die for you or didn't he? You can know. Do you know what you can know? How long until we get there? You got to know what you can't know. I can't tell you that. No one can. 
But brothers and sisters, let us be awake and sober as we wait for the return of Jesus. And there are only two destinations. I may not know when I get there, but I know where I'm headed. I wonder if you do as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that that statement of Paul would be true of all of us this morning, that we are all children of light, children of the day. We thank you for the gospel that shines over our gathering and exposes us in our sin, but invites us to step into the light where we find cleansing and forgiveness and eternal hope. Lord Jesus, we pray as we venture into this week that you would help us to be awake and sober, not influenced or intoxicated by the things of this world, but controlled by the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we trust and pray. Amen.